All right. Uh, well, today we are going to start our new series in um, 1 Peter. So we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, 1 Peter 1, verses uh, 1 through 5. And so uh, kind of as I was getting ready for this, uh, the first thing that struck me is it's just interesting the different styles that, you know, different apostles have, different writers have. And so, you know, when you read Paul's letters they have these big, long openings where he'll have a prayer or a poem uh, and he's talking to a big crowd and, and Peter's like three verses. Hey, everybody, blessings in God. Now let's get into it. And so there's not a really a whole big opening to this letter because um, Peter really does a quick introduction and then he jumps right in. And so I, I think we're going to look at a little bit at the opening and then mainly focus on kind of the first three verses um, of his message, because I think as we look at the opening and we look at those first three verses of the message, we'll get, we'll get kind of an overview of what the whole book is going to focus on, um, what this whole letter focuses on. So let's go ahead and start uh, in verse 1. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, uh, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ for the sprinkling with His blood. May grace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Um, so a lot of the kind of the purpose and the focus of this letter, we can get just from who Peter addresses it to, because um, he's very specific in how he addresses it. He says, to the elect exiles of the dispersion. So it kind of gives three descriptors there, the elect exiles of the dispersion. And so if we look at this, you know, so first we're talking to believers. And so elect means that God has elected us into salvation. And so in other words, when we look at that, we can kind of get up uh, in theology, caught up on what does that mean? Did God foreknow us, predestination, all that kind of stuff? But really what I want us to focus on this idea of election that God has elected us, he has called us, is that God pursues us. Is that our salvation is not something we do, but it's something God does in us. So when we're saying that we are the elect, we're saying that God has called us and God has saved us. That we have very little to do with that process except for the accepting of the salvation. And so it wasn't us... <laughs> who realize the need, the Holy Spirit reveals that, but it's our response to that revelation of the Holy Spirit that enters us into that relationship with Jesus. So first, Peter is talking to the elect, the chosen, those who are Christians. And then he calls them exiles or strangers in the land. And so uh, really this word that he used, he uses exiles and then dispersion. And those were terms um, that come really from Peter's Jewish roots. And so uh, the Old Testament talks a lot to the Israelites about how they need to be accepting of the sojourner, the traveler, the alien, the stranger in their land. And so right now, Peter is calling the church, 
He's calling Christians that he's writing to, he's calling them sojourners. He's calling them exiles. Essentially what he's saying is you are foreigners where you live. Um, and so a lot of times we may take this to mean um, that they were all driven out of their homeland and now they live someplace different. And that's not really what this says. Because a lot of the church that Peter's writing to, they haven't been driven out. So it's true in Rome, in, in Jerusalem, they were driven out by the Romans and kind of dispersed. But a lot of these places that Peter is writing to, um, people weren't driven out, but that's where they live. Um, Galatia. And so remember, he's talking not to just to the Jews at this point in time, but he's talking to Jews and Gentiles. He's talking to the whole Christian church. So it's no longer kind of separated that we see some of the earlier letters of Paul where the church hasn't really brought in Gentiles yet. Uh, here where Peter's writing, there's definitely a big Gentile audience, especially when you look at the, uh, where he's writing to, like Galatia and Asia would have been primarily only Gentiles. There weren't a whole lot of Jews in Asia at the time. They were mostly centered kind of in that ancient Near Eastern area of Jerusalem. And so he's writing to largely Gentile audiences, but what he's saying is not that you were driven out of your homeland, but by the very nature of being a Christian, you're a stranger in your land. So you're a Christian surrounded by non-Christians, and that makes you a stranger. That makes you a sojourner. Uh, so there's an old country gospel hymn. Um, it's one of the few I really still like to sing. Um, um, Basically that uh, um, I can't feel at home in this world anymore. This world is not my home. Thank you. I couldn't think of the name of it. I can hear it in my head, but I couldn't think of the name of it. And, and so the idea, this world is not my home, I'm just passing through. And so that if we look at life, um, we live here. This is where our family, this is where our communities, but we don't take claim to this. This is not NARS. This is not a permanent dwelling place, but we see it for what it is. And that's a temporary stop and an eternal destination uh, to be at home with the Father. So he's writing to Christians who should see themselves as exiles of the dispersion. In other words, they've been scattered out. And so when Christianity started, uh, in the beginning of Acts, they were centered in Jerusalem because that's where Jesus was. And a lot of times we'll read through that book of Acts and we think that was a quick step. Um, but we're talking about um, 30 to 90 A.D., in the book of Acts. So we're talking like 60 years. Um, and so a lot of times what we're reading from chapter to chapter and we're saying, oh, that's just the next page, next page. That's 10, 20 years further in the future. And so a lot of times we can read the book of Acts and we don't quite understand the scope of the time um, of what it covers, that it covers the history of that, that early church. And so where the church started very local in Jerusalem, um, they were all together. They're now dispersed all over the place. And so essentially what we, what we get from this um, is Peter is going to address a lot of this idea of this is not your home. You're dispersed and you're scattered. So a large portion of this letter of 1 Peter that we're going to wrestle with is going to talk about um, suffering, persecution, um, kind of being in, in the midst of those who are attacking you or against you or want to smear your name. And so this idea that you're not going to feel at home, you're going to feel disconnected at time, you're going to feel dispersed at time, but even though you're disconnected, even though you're in exile, 
Right? So you're living out of your homeland um, and not by your choice, but you're almost like you're in enemy, enemy territory. So you're living in exile, but there is still hope and peace and prosper, uh, prosperity in living in exile. So as we look at the whole letter of 1 Peter, that's the main thing we're going to keep coming back to and we're going to keep focusing on is Peter's addressing. So you as an exile, you as a foreigner in a distant land, how are you to behave? How, how are you to take persecution? How are you to handle suffering? How, how are you to grow in Christ? How are you to be a model to those that don't know Christ? And so while this was a letter written you know, over 2,000 years ago, um, or almost 2,000 years ago, we can still get from it a lot of important things for us today. Um, so the next thing is, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood. And so this is just kind of a neat generic opening where Peter hits every part of the Trinity as he's addressing the church. So this is according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. So he's talking about, okay, God... Uh, is, is kind of up there controlling everything, knowing everything in the sanctification of the Spirit. And so we're in God the Father. He gives us direction. All right, we're being stretched. We're being grown. We're being made more like Christ. That's sanctification by the Spirit because of the Spirit's obedience to Christ because of the sprinkling of His blood. And so we get that full picture of how we interact in the, the Trinity. If God gives us direction. All right, the Spirit grows us, stretches us, brings that connection, and all of our access to those two things is because of the blood of Christ. If it wasn't for the blood of Christ, we wouldn't have the sanctification of the Spirit, and we would not have the connection to God the Father for Him to give us direction. And so just a neat way for Him to address the church um, and addressing who they are. You're foreigners and exiles, but they are completely in God through the Trinity, through God the Father, the sanctification of the Spirit, by the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus. So that's just his introduction. So let's get into kind of the meat of what he starts off here. So may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So real quick, as we get ready to kind of dive into what it looks like to live as a foreigner in this land, um, Peter gives three descriptors um, to what the Christian is. Okay, so the first descriptor is that we have been born again to a living hope. A living hope. And so we get this, that... It's not just that God has called us to be born to a living hope or born again to a living hope, but that happens by the great mercy of Jesus that we're actually born to a living hope. And so what does that mean? That because Jesus rose from the dead, right, we have that mercy given to us so that we can rise from the dead as well. So we're no longer, as Paul says, we're no longer a slave to sin, but we are now a slave to righteousness. We're freed from our sin and we're freed up to serve a life in God. So that doesn't happen without that resurrection. And that's not just a resurrection that is for Christ, but Peter's pointing out you've been called, all right, to be born again into a living hope. And so remember 
who he's addressing. He's talking to people that are foreigners and they're dispersed. So they feel like strangers and they feel alone. So right off the bat, he says, you have a living hope. So you may not see it right now. You may not feel it right now. You may be under persecution. Things may be hard. You may not see a light at the end of the tunnel. But that's precisely why you've been resurrected. Right? You're no longer bound to your physical body and the fear and the shame that's controlled there. But you have a living hope. And so remember, as we grow in Christ, a big part of our faith is this idea of hope. So we've said that before, we've talked about Hebrews 11, that faith is the substance of things hoped for. Um, and that word substance actually means foundation. Um, so that foundation of faith comes in and meets the level of our hope. So if you, have, if you hope in nothing, you have no faith because you don't need any faith. If you hope in something great, then your faith will rise to meet that level of hope. So uh, think about we've built a house and Jesus comes and puts the foundation underneath of it to strengthen it. And so a lot of times what we see the authors in Scripture, especially to a church that is facing uh, persecution, they're being driven out of their homelands, they're being disconnected from the body of Christ because of that persecution, a lot of what they focus on are those two things of hope and faith, and they absolutely go together. All right, so we have to understand that we have a living hope. All right, that means it can't be killed. It's, it's, not a, it's not a dead hope. We're not hoping in something that happened a long time ago. We're not hoping uh, in something that happened to somebody else. And we're not hoping in something that may eventually happen. But we have a living hope. So we have a hope that's here and now. And so a lot of times we kind of do the, the pendulum swing. So either our hope is in the past. So Jesus was a historical figure that lived and he... And he, and he died in some great things, so maybe we can do some good things today. So we take that Jesus is our model, so we have a hope in the future. You know, it seems somewhat disconnected from things being broken and messy now, but we have that example. If we could just be good enough and just follow that, then we would have hope. Then we have the other direction, which is um, if we can just hang on long enough, we'll eventually get to heaven and things will be nicer there. I know it sucks right now. But if you can just hang on a little bit longer, there's hope. And so our hope is tied to a very distant future. And so I think some ways we have kind of that progressive left part of the church that hopes in the example, hopes in the past. If we can just be good enough, maybe we can make a difference. Then there's that kind of conservative far right side of the church that is very much based on if we can just make it through this mess and get to heaven, things will be better there. And so what Peter says is it's not we're looking to the past, it's not we're looking to the future, but right now we have a living hope. You know, Hebrews says that the Word of God is living and active. And so as we look at our faith, the first thing that we have to understand that Peter says, you as an exile have a living hope that you are actually born into. So you didn't get there on your own. You were born into that hope. You didn't earn it. Um, it, it's not a, you know, it's not a repayment for something. Um, I, I mean, <laughs> I love that picture of being born again into the living hope because children aren't, they don't choose to be born. They, they don't have a hand in the process. That's, that's all kind of done for them. They're just born into the parents, the circumstances, the situation that they have. So when we look at our salvation as being born again, you as the baby in that scenario, what control do you have over it? What did you do to earn it? What did you do to make it? Nothing. 
but you are born into a living hope. So, so many times we kind of have this concept when we understand hope in the distance, but we take responsibility for it. In other words, um, I control whether I'm hopeful or not. I, I've got to see the good. I've got to be the good to control that hope. But we have to understand, all right, the hope is in Christ Jesus. So we have those two components of one, I have to have something to shoot for. I have to have a high level that's going to challenge and raise my faith up. But I also have to understand that hope is not my own. That hope is because I'm born again into Christ Jesus. So he is my hope. All right, so we have that living hope. The next thing he says, once you have that living hope because of the resurrection of Christ from the dead, um, you also have an inheritance. All right, so blessed be God the Father, Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a born again, and we could instead of to a living hope, we could put to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. All right, so you have an inheritance, and we talked about this last week. All right, that our inheritance is in, important because uh, uh, we have access to God the Father through Jesus Christ. So the very opening. Um, that Peter had this idea that we are connected to the Father because of the blood of Jesus. And so if we understand that we are connected to God the Father as children that are adopted in, that are born again into this living hope, then we have an inheritance, and our inheritance is eternal salvation. And so that idea that that gift of God of eternal salvation, of forgiveness, of entrance into a relationship with the Father... We can say this is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. In other words, there's no expiration date on it. It's not going to spoil over time. So, so many times we have good friendships, good relationships, and something happens and they kind of just wear out and they spoil over time. So if we look at the goods around us, I know my car is eventually going to wear out. Uh, My phone is eventually going to wear out. My house is eventually going to fall apart and fall down if I don't take care of it. So we live uh, in a body that is a rotting carcass that will eventually wear out and fade away. It can't be sustained forever. So everything around us is perishable. Everything around us has an expiration date. But what Peter is saying is your inheritance, your relationship with God through Jesus Christ has no expiration date. Undefiled. Undefiled. This is an important one. And we talk about this all the time. This is kind of one of the, just the nature of wreck and, and what we believe um, is we constantly want to remind people that you can do, uh, you can't do anything so evil or so horrible or so bad to be too far apart from God for him to reach you. All right? He is always there, always with you. And so, so many times um, we can struggle, we can fall, we can feel like sojourners from the church. We feel like exiles of, of man, I, I did this horrible thing, or I had this moral failing, or I just don't feel like I'm accepted or, or comfortable. And because of that, um, man, it's just this, uh, I feel unworthy to be loved by God. And we allow that shame to come in and put up a wall between God and us. And so if we live by that shame, we will always doubt the love of God for us. We will always doubt the love of other people for us. We will always doubt our importance and our acceptance. So Peter's saying that you have a a love from God in Jesus Christ that is undefiled. You can do nothing to defile it because you didn't earn it. In other words, you can't make your acceptance in Christ impure 
because it's not based on your purity. It's based on God's purity. It's based on the purity of Christ. So because it's not based on my purity, there's nothing I can do to defile it because it is held up and secure in Christ Jesus. And then finally, finally unfading. Unfading. So it's never going to lose that luster, that sheen, that excitement, uh, that passion. Right? It's not going to lose that. We may be forgetful at times. We may be dis- distracted at times. But that doesn't mean our salvation in Christ um, has lost its luster, has lost its sheen, has lost its excitement. It means we've gotten distracted by something in the world. And so a lot of times we just need to be reminded. Um, we just need to have that, that fire stoked in us. And so it's not that that fire goes out, but sometimes we, we get forgetful, we get, we get complacent. And so, but there's nothing that can, um, can cause that to fade. And so I, I just love this, that you have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, and it's kept in heaven for you. Um, so Paul says it this way in Ephesians, all right, that you've received the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of your inheritance, as a seal. And so picture an envelope sealed with wax. All right, so the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. All right, so if, you, if you've had that moment where, man, I feel like God's leading me this way, I feel Him leading me this way, or, or I can feel His presence when I, when I pray or interact or in worship, that's the Holy Spirit moving. And when we feel the Holy Spirit moving in us or around us, that's important to note for us because that's the seal. That's the mark of our inheritance in heaven. So do we believe Jesus is Lord? Then yes, then you've received the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of your inheritance, as a mark of it. And so all of this is kept in heaven for you. So why is this important for the exiles and the sojourners? Because they may be physically displaced. All right? they, they may be emotionally persecuted or put out. Um, they may be disconnected from their families. Uh, it, it, it always amazes me when I look at this and I, and I think about the Apostle Paul. So the Apostle Paul um, was a Pharisee of Pharisees. And while he wasn't married and had kids, he, he, he had a family. He came from somewhere. He had a connection. And so it's, it's fascinating for me to look at the letters of Paul and what did he constantly want to do? He constantly wanted to go to the synagogues and preach to the Israelites. All right? He wanted to go to his family who had rejected him and pushed him out because of his acceptance. He wanted them to know the truth. All right? so, but he was constantly rejected in that space, and then he would go and witness to the Gentiles. And so you're writing to a lot of people, both the Israelites who were rejected by their families for accepting Christ. Then you go to the Gentiles who go from a kind of polytheistic deism so we believe there's lots of gods and there's a goddess of this and a god of this and a god of this and this is how we worship to believing in the one true God, the Father, through Christ Jesus and they are completely rejected and pushed out from their families. So Peter's writing to a church that is probably experiencing a lot of you know, hurt because they're rejected by the spaces they, they grew up in and they used to, to be a part of because of their acceptance in Christ. So it's important to understand that while we may see the world struggle around us, while we may feel rejected around us, we may feel alone around us, that this new life, this new birth we have in Jesus is not something that's going to leave us. It's not something that's going to get spoiled. It's not something that's going to fade away. But it's going to be with us always.
until we get to heaven. And then finally, uh, he says, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And so not only are you born into a living hope, not only are you born into an inheritance, but you are actually born into God's protection. You are born into God's protection. So by God's power, you are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So I, I love this picture of salvation, that we, uh, that we have that complete picture of we were born again, so we were saved once, all right? Then we, we kind of walk into this process of sanctification, all right? So we're growing in our faith. We're being saved daily from our old way of life. We're, we're, we're following a love of the Father that's, that's imperishable, undefiled, unfading, all right, so we have this progressive, and then we end with this idea of, I mean, there are parts of our salvation we don't even know about yet. All right? There's a fullness of our life in God that we only have a small glimpse and picture of what heaven is going to be like. And so we can see examples and pieces of it. So we talk about, you know, fellowship that we have with one another and, and some of the imagery that Scripture uses for that as far as heaven is going to be a wedding feast, that we get to heaven and it's this big wedding feast, this big fellowship with one another before God. We have this idea of it, of it being a, a marriage where we are connected with God in the same way we're connected with our spouse. So we get all these little pictures of it. Um, but as, as James says, um, it's like we're looking in a mirror dimly lit, or Paul says, sorry, we're looking in a mirror dimly and one day it will all be revealed to us and kind of the mirror will be cleaned and we'll be able to see fully what the picture is. You know, so, so in, in country speak, we're looking through a really dirty window and it's kind of hard to see. Everything's a little fuzzy. We can make things out. We get the idea, you know, but one day that's going to be crystal clear. We see. So there's a part of our salvation that's being guarded and protected by God that we don't even have the full picture of yet. All right, so I love that Paul has taken this um, from you know, either extreme of hoping in the past or hoping in the future um, to that full-fledged measure of hope and faith. All right, that we have hope because of what Christ did on the cross. We have hope now because God has promised not to leave us, that we have an inheritance that's, that's active, that's moving, and that we have parts of our salvation that are being guarded by God that haven't even been revealed to us yet. Um, so we, we have a hope that is, is robust, a hope in the past, the present, and the future. And so no matter how uh, much we may feel like exiles, we may feel like foreigners. So in other words, that feeling like I just quite don't fit in here. That is a normal, natural feeling to have as a believer. So, so many times we take that feeling and we want to fix it. Okay, well, that just means I'm not part of the right church. I just don't have the right friends or I'm not on the right medication or I'm not seeing the right therapist. And, and, and Peter's saying, like, that's, that's a natural feeling. You should feel like an exile because this is not what you were made for. Right, you were made for a deep, living, active connection to the Father. And we get glimpses of that now. But eventually, all right, when he restores everything and restores heaven and earth, we'll get a full picture of what we were made for. But until then, we have reason to hope and we have reason to persist in him. Let's pray. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, 
um, we thank you. God, I thank you that you have made us born again to a living hope, uh, a hope that is active, a hope that can sustain us and carry us through. Um, so, Father, I just pray that uh, um, where we feel like exiles, Father, where we feel like outcasts, where we feel separated, um, that you would give us comfort in, in the body of Christ, that you would give us comfort in uh, the Holy Spirit, that, that you would help draw us to your side. So, Father, we, we love you uh, and we praise you. God, I thank you that, uh, I thank you that you have, are holding us secure, um, that nothing can take us away from you. Nothing can defile the relationship that we have with you. So, Father, I thank you for how you love us. I just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.